Hello and welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Mark, Stephen, and Gerald. And today we'll be talking about creating low-cost websites. But before we get to that topic, did you guys see what Bill Gates' favorite mobile platform is? I'll spoil it right here. I'll spoil it right here. It's not Windows Phone. No. But it's Android. What? Why do you think of that? Everyone has their right to an opinion. <laughs> that's that's my thought. And, and he says, he says, the reason why he chooses actually Android over iPhone is because the Microsoft apps are sometimes installed by default on those Android phones, and he just prefers the way they work on there. I mean, because he's pulling a new phone out of the out of the shelves every week, or how often do, do the pre-installed apps matter? How that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I I think I read a few years back that some Android vendors they now bundle all the Office apps right into there. So I I guess that could be nicer, but. Also, like if you if you put in a little bit of effort, I mean, on iOS fourteen, you can now put in Outlook as your default mail. Uh, you can even put in Edge as your default browser. So you can swap out any parts so that it feels like more home. But yeah, I mean, as you said, Stephen, everybody has the right to his own opinion. But yeah, it's it's now official. Bill Gates seems to prefer Android over iOS. And you have that other other thing on on Windows, right? Uh, where you have the I don't know what they call it, your phone, my phone, our phone, someone's oh, yeah. phone, where you can mirror your screen, and I think you can interact with it. Your and you get your notifications and that kind of stuff uh, from your Android phone on on Windows Ten. Hmm. I've obviously well, never used it because I don't use Android, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now that you mention it, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that will make me move over to Android, to be honest. And they have the whole Surface Duo thing running on Android. So basically, he couldn't say something else. Yeah, that's, that's true. Is. That's true. But that's, again, a, another story, right? I mean, there you got like two screens. It's like a mini laptop where you can cram all your fingers together. Um, yeah, I'm still waiting for my gift Surface Duo from... From us? <laughs> From our listeners, from our listeners, yes, yeah, from our from our from our favorite listeners. No, I don't know. For I'm I'm not choosing here. I mean, everybody's welcome to give me that gift. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, actually uh, that they can now. I saw a news item the other day that they are now expanding sales to Germany and some other countries, UK probably. Uh, so not just US anymore. So you know, it increases your chances of getting one, maybe. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Speaking about seeing how that goes, um, talking about websites, I don't know, did anyone of you, like in the good old days, you know, when we were young and the future was bright and, yeah, all that good stuff, um, ever write your own website using HTML, CSS, and because you were, like, super cool, you also put in some JavaScript just because you could? Yes, of course. And uh, man, then I discovered ASP and PHP, so all the cool things basically. Um, yeah, I did all the things. I was I was like the 
the cool guy in you know high school that was definitely a thing and and also because i found out that um full feet was it was that the uh, a game was it also called internationally like that where you have to you have that little spaceship that goes um uh, around the edges and you have to go into the playing field and then cut off a little corner and then clear the whole playing field but there's a big snake and it will try to eat your no no one no one knows what i'm talking about okay <laughs> well it was looks. a game <laughs> it was a game looks. that was installed on our um, computer um and i found out that you had a command line argument to start it without sound so we could just you know do our computer lab um uh, lessons um just playing games so i was i was i was pretty popular i'll tell you uh, but anyway, websites, yeah. So, of course, uh, that is, I think, what a lot of people start with, right? HTML, CSS, uh, JavaScript to make it a little bit more dynamic. And then, like I said, uh, at least that's kind of the route that that it was back then. Um, PHP, because it was, you know, uh, easy to come by, easy to make mistakes, but also easy to make it work. Um, so that's kind of the route that a lot of people seem to to take. But I don't know, how's that for you? Well, I uh, I cobbled together many an iframe in Dreamweaver and front page oh, and course. all these mm. glorious tools from yesteryear. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I, I'm pretty sure I may find some hard drive somewhere with early copies of stuff like this. If like, I don't know what eats hard drives, mice, probably not, but <laughs> if, Something has killed the hard drives. Maybe just time could have done that. But um, yeah, they, they probably still exist somewhere in a digital copy. But yeah, I think it, uh, it's pretty much what Gerald said. You, you start off with uh, HTML, then CSS comes along. CSS 1, 2, 3. I don't know where we're at right now. Um, and then the, the JavaScript stuff, of course. Well, I think it's still hot and happening JavaScript, but... It's, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I heard. I heard JavaScript seems to be on the rise. Um, yeah, that seems to be something to check out. Maybe one of these days. But I mean, I, I remember like writing those writing those websites. I think I was even still using Notepad at the time, so no highlighting, all manual indentation stuff like that. And that those the sites they were actually quite fast. I mean, you, you didn't have to, a lot of processing going on but then as time progressed a lot of my friends uh when i started to get more into programming they then suddenly threw around the lamp stack word the linux apache mysql php stuff you know all the cool kids suddenly did that and yeah so you then had that so suddenly having a website writing html css was no longer really cool because you didn't have a server with a database running on top of it and i think then that got a bit more complex. But suddenly, these days, I think half of the internet, half of the websites are built in WordPress. I mean, that's like, if you want something super easy to build, you just choose WordPress, am I right? I do, right now. I'm yeah, gonna... me too. It's kind of a pain. Uh, well, it's not so much a pain. It's quite easy to set up. I think, you know, as long as you keep to the themes and all the things that are available there, and I don't ever have to touch PHP again. Um, <laughs> then it's then it's pretty all right, and it's you know it's because everyone is using it the WordPress stuff. Uh, I got well, we talked about this. I got hacked at some point. Um, there is another episode. Go go find it. Um, so oh, that was actually another website. So I I got my WordPress thing <laughs> hacked too. Um, 
I think we made fun of this before that I got everything hacked. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, because it, it even happens automated, right? Because, you know, uh, people forget to change their um, standard password probably, or there are so many plugins or themes and all kinds of things that people don't update. So whenever there's an exploit, you uh, find hackers writing scripts to you know go out and search uh wordpress pages and and basically hack them almost automatically injecting them with uh malware or ads or whatever um but yeah f- you know besides all that <laughs> these minor things um it's pretty cool and it's pretty easy to set up and uh yeah it's it's then pretty powerful yeah and can't you also host wordpress for free like are there like some services that you can just boot up your your own website like in zero to no time and also not have to pay for it is that still a thing i think so at least i think uh you could host host it on wordpress.com and then some dns magic could could do the rest yeah i think you get some banner or something then uh probably because you know they're not going to give it to you for free obviously uh but i think you can you can do that Fair enough, fair enough. I remember what my very first blog, I don't know if it's even still out there, that was a WordPress blog. And uh, yeah, uh, I think my my biggest issue that I had with then was more an, an ethical one. I don't know if ethics is the right word to describe this, but I had a problem with the idea that I wasn't owning my content. I mean, since I used a free hosted service, my blog posts, they weren't with me, they weren't on my disk, they were somewhere on a server and if WordPress ever decided to go offline, which I think never happens, but you know, these are the thoughts experiments that you sometimes do. Well, what if that thing happens and it never happens? Anyhow, so I then moved my my, my blog then to, to a different web hosting a, uh, engine. And uh, I, I looked at a few and for me, WordPress, I mean, it's, well, it's super easy to get started and you've got many default templates and many people explaining how you can get started. The getting hacked part was uh, was like a, a common theme also back then, you know, like why not use use WordPress if you like to get hacked? And I then chose a very niche um, web framework, which was Matt Christensen uh, mini blog. He, he created that for .NET. So you could create a blogging app or a blogging website, uh, which you could hook up Open Life Writer or Life Writer back in the day. Uh, you can still download it today. It's a editor where you can write blog posts and you could then send up your blog posts to there. So all I had to do was have a server that was running somewhere and uh, regularly patch it, do stuff like that. So yeah, that um, I ended up hosting it on Azure, which cost me quite a bit of money per month to just have it running all the time. And yeah, it, I still I still always had the thing that I could be hacked. It didn't use a database, so I was a bit leaner there, but it was quite some work. Uh, and I think those is generally thing the things when you have compute on your back end that you often have to pay more for the compute. Do you guys have any experiences with hosting your old websites that use such a compute heavy approach? I uh, have a few of them on Azure. Um, so on the, what is that, web apps front, I think. Um, I haven't looked into the, the cool new kit, the, the static websites or static web apps, which looks interesting if you if you want to do all your compute in, in stuff like functions and just need a, well, a very lightweight front end. But I, I haven't looked into that much yet. But yeah, I have a few instances running 
that do cost, well, I don't know, 30 bucks a month or something, something along those lines. Um, and they do some computing, but not an awful lot. So there's there's probably cheaper alternatives out there than uh, than what I'm doing right now. But yeah, then then it becomes more of a, I know how this works and I can quickly get started here instead of having to figure out the cheaper way to do it. So like make everything in the front end and just call some functions from, for example, JavaScript or whatever. Um, yeah, it's just maybe an ease of, of usage thing for me at least. Yeah, so I still have since from the early days my reseller account on some web hosting thing that I've been using forever for myself. And then there's a couple of customers that uh, are still there basically paying for my reseller account. So, you know, that's that's how you stay rich. I left um, because of that. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> he for he saw my um, pyramid scheme and he left. Yes. Um, but uh, so I still have that around, which is all PHP stuff. And um, so I, I use that mostly for like my consumer websites, quote, end quote, um, which is, you know, just websites to actually show something to people. And then, yeah, sure, on the Azure stuff, that's more um, stuff that with web APIs and, and more like the technical stuff, I feel. I've never really hosted any, um, yeah, like I like I said, like I mentioned, the, the consumer websites there. Uh, I was developing one for the exam expert day stuff because that was ASP.NET Core thing, so that was just easy to do. Uh, but yeah, that never really, I never really finished it. So you know, uh, but other than that, yeah, I think you know, I've always been blessed with, uh, of course, with the Microsoft MVP. You get uh, a number of credits for Azure a month, so um, you could basically do some stuff for free there. Of course, that's all you know, just. Uh, technical experimenting and uh, nothing in production for testing um, for testing uh, but so yeah it's probably the same pricing uh, because you know you can do a lot for free on Azure but if you want to do I don't know how it is today but if you want to do like your um, SSL certificates then you have to get a higher tier because you need a fixed IP address or something like that and uh, that will cost you a little bit more of course um, so if you want to do a couple of those fancy things, then uh, your your costs in Azure will go up. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. And I think it also depends really what kind of site you are wanting to provide. I mean, if you have got a site that changes often or where you have the user entering some data that has to be processed and then stored in the back end and you do that on and on, you need some kind of compute. I mean, you need some kind of database where you can store those changes. And that's, I think, also where these uh, extra bits suddenly become mandatory. But sometimes all you do is actually write a more or less static website. So that could be, uh, as you mentioned, Gerald, it could be a conference app application where you basically host, uh, hey, what is this conference about? The speakers, the sessions, uh, maybe still some fancy Google Maps so people can find the venue, at least when that was a thing, when not everything was on the interwebs. And that's more or less all the change. So one could argue that the HTML, CSS, and maybe sprinkle some JavaScript approach from the early days actually could even work out here. It's just so much work to do this HTML stuff, writing things in that way. So that's, I think, also where, as Steven mentioned before, those static websites suddenly come into play. 
Yeah. So, for example, our uh, our wonderful podcast website runs on a static website. Um, it is hosted on GitHub and through a framework called Jekyll. It uh, it basically allows us to give it a markdown file, which is the post for uh, for a specific blog post or for a specific podcast, I should say. And then basically based on the timing uh, that we give those posts, they go live on a specific date. And pretty much all of it is, is well, once it's set up, it's just a matter of making that markdown file and putting it in the right directory. And you're pretty much done. So that that all that generation of... of HTML and CSS and less and SAS and what do I know what all those fancy CSS things are. Um, that's all taken care of. Yeah, so and together with that, you know, then we don't have all the compute things. So suddenly it's it's super cheap because you don't have to um, do all the compute. It just generates once and then it's just basically a bunch of HTML websites. So that's super cheap to to host. Um, and also very safe because, you know, now suddenly they, I'm, every, everything can be hacked, right? So they can get in our space, they can change all the HTML and, you know, still inject some JavaScript stuff maybe. Um, but our data is still in our repository. Then they would also need to hack our GitHub in this case, which is, you know, backing all this stuff up. Um, but beyond that, you know, then we'll just delete everything from our web hosting. Uh, was, oh, actually, I think the hosting is done on GitHub in this case as well, right? So um, they, they yep. would have to hack GitHub. I mean, it's not impossible, but um, chances of that are probably pretty low. Uh, but even if you don't do that, you know, you can just wipe out your whole um, hosting space and then publish everything again. Of course, make sure you know why you're hacked and fix that too. Um, but yeah, so super cheap, unhackable, air quotes. Um, <laughs> what What else? Yeah, I mean, super cheap. I mean, it's like free. I mean, when you, if you have your own GitHub account, you can create a website under your GitHub account.github.io and you can host a website there. You can actually turn pretty much any repository that you have into a website. So in the settings, there is the option that you can enable it and it uses uh, Jekyll in the background. So GitHub, uh, if you have a Jekyll websites template in your repository you can say hey in that sub folder or in the root you will find the jekyll page and every time you check in a change it will then automatically build that for you so there's no infrastructure needed on your end and even the hosting is done then on a, a github server now you could um violate maybe some terms so github pages it's it's free but you're not allowed to run your own business over it you're not allowed to sell stuff over it uh, but there are also limitations in the bandwidth, so you are not you're only allowed to transfer a certain amount uh, per month, and also the storage, how big your site grows, uh, is limited to a certain size, and that's also why we decided to split up our podcast website. So the website is all on GitHub Pages, but our podcasts they're hosted on Azure on a file storage, so the link then points over there, and then you can can download it from there. But I mean, comparing how much the, the cost is for hosting this this podcast, I mean, we we pay for the URL so that we have our DNS entry, uh, but we don't have to pay for the actual hosting of the website. And what we then still pay for is for hosting our podcast files on the storage and for the file transfer. But it's 
compared to a normal website, I mean, you pay literally nothing. I mean, it's super cheap. And that's super cool, super awesome. We like super cheap. Mm. I know I do. <laughs> so if if I were to, like, let's say I have a website, which is basically some pages that are pretty static, and I currently have that in an ASP.NET Core app, which, as you mentioned, runs on compute, so it'll cost me a lot more than just having a static, flat website. Is it is it a matter of just copying all my stuff over into HTML pages and, and some JavaScript magic, or...? Is that the effort I need to take here? Well, hashtag it depends. I mean, number one thing which you always have to do is whatever you end up doing, you'll have to write a blog post about how you did it. Um, so that's just like the basic rule in the interwebs. And uh, then record a podcast about it. And, and then record a podcast about it, yes. Make, make most out of it, right? 120% uh, rules and stuff like that and bad humor jokes here. No, but generally what you will have to find a way usually how you can transfer your content into Markdown. If you have a popular blogging platform, most probably you will find the script hosted on GitHub, which you can use to extract your information and have it converted so you can use one of the popular static site generators. And there are quite a few out there uh, that you then can use. Uh, from there on, you probably still want to pull over your styling uh, if you or maybe you will just do an, a, a total redo of that, but you can then pull over your CSS and your SAS and your less and the, the, all the good, all the goodness of your styling. Uh, maybe some base templates of your HTML. Uh, you can also put that in there, and then yeah, after some filling around with whichever static site generator you then have chosen, you probably could have then some success. But it's not. You have to be a bit technical minded. I think if you are. Uh, hoping to replicate your WordPress uh, experiences, it, it might not be that uh, comfortable to set up this site. No, I think you're right there. This is more of a technical thing. So that's also looking at my reseller stuff. You know, it's easy to. I actually just did it today. Um, they they wanted a new um, uh, domain name register, so you know I'll do that. Uh, put WordPress up for them. Um, enable automatic um, updates. So, you know, they don't get hacked. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's up and running and then they can do all the rest, right? They have someone who um, can do the theming part so it looks and feels the way they want it um, and they can write the content themselves. Um, I mean, you know, the GitHub stuff, if you know Markdown um, and I think, you know, if you, you can get away with just using GitHub as the web page, I think, for a lot of this stuff. Um, then if you know Markdown and how where to click on GitHub, basically, if someone sets that up for you, uh, then I think you can get a long way. Uh, but yeah, it's it's more. I think I think over time, you know, um, you you will get more feeling um, the feeling that you want to have more control over your things. So uh, it would be good to to have a little bit of a more technical background to get that stuff up and running. I think um, also if you want to make it even faster, maybe not cheaper, but faster for other people, uh, I don't know, is it actually pretty cheap? You can do a couple of other things, um, like, for instance, work with a CDN, which is a content distribution network. Am I right? Yeah, sounds sounds uh, legit to me, Gerald. I think it's a content delivery network, but it's it is distributed probably, so... 
<laughs> it's something I'll content it. something network. Okay. Yeah. Um, CDNs. <laughs> but can anyone tell me what it does? I'll try to to uh, bring in some meaning behind this. I mean, basically, my understanding of a CDN is you have service all around the world, or so that's what a CDN network will provide to you. And you can then push your content, your website, uh, onto a CDN. And so because the servers are then located around the world, the time it needs to make a request to a server near to you will be shorter, so your website will be loading faster. And I believe that since I'm not the web expert, I will then hand off the question to Stephen. Um, many popular JavaScript frameworks and CSS styles are actually also hosted on these CDNs. So if I build a website, I can then reference them and the reference URL will be pointing to a CDN. So again, I'll have then fast load times, even if I only have my server on a local thing that might travel a bit further. That is uh, that is correct. Things like uh, that you that you include fairly often, relatively like like things like jQuery if you're still into that, or maybe the font awesome uh, icon fonts or, or the things. font awesomes. The things mm. that you see on a lot of websites these days, they're all hosted on their own little CDNs so that it, it gets served from the most optimal location near you. So yeah, they, they definitely, obviously they also want to, uh, because you're you're pulling in like an external reference, right? So they want to make that as, as smooth as possible for you. So if, if you're located in Europe somewhere and you're trying to... Uh, bring in a big external resource from all the way on the other end of the globe, then yeah, that's obviously a lot slower than if it's just served from the country next door, basically. So yeah, a lot of people do that. Yeah. And another side effect from using a CDN is you reduce the traffic that actually hits your server. So I said before, GitHub Pages has got some limitations of how much bandwidth it will serve per day, month. I, I would have to check the docs. But if you strap a CDN in front, and some of them are actually free, so there's a Cloudflare out there, for example, and you can then reduce traffic. And I mean, that can range from very low numbers to quite high numbers, but uh, also depending on what website you're building, this can mean you can reduce the traffic to your site substantially. Cool stuff, cool stuff. So Cloudflare is, of course, one of them. Um, we also, because Azure has everything, Azure also has a CDN, and uh, there's probably more that we don't even know of. But uh, yeah, they all do kind of the same thing, right? So they spread out your resources over multiple places in the world that you can probably configure. Um, so loading will be faster for the ones that are um, the visitors that you're getting on your website, right? So. Um, yeah, okay, we already mentioned like our uh, podcast website that's using, uh, I think it's the Jekyll, right? How, what's the other? Did we already mention the other one? Uh, there's the other one that's also pretty the Hugo? common. Oh, the Hugo. Hugo? Yeah, yeah, Hugo. Yeah. I think Gatsby is another one. I think there are quite a few out there. Um, so Jekyll has been around for quite some time. I think it's built in Ruby. And so some people say Jekyll is slow. And what they mean by slow is the transformation from the markdown files into the HTML can take some time. And if you are a news website which publishes news all, all around the day and many new updates every minute, um, that slowness could be in, become an issue for you. But uh, if you are running a blog and you blog once a day, I don't think that issue would really creep up that quickly. And I mean, blogging once a day is quite a lot. Am I right, Gerald? 
<laughs> why are you why are you asking me? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mark, I don't know. Mark, I posted my last thing in 2019. But uh, I don't know. So we already mentioned our podcast website. So that's not even once a day, but once a week. So I don't think we have to worry about uh, any of these things. But do we have um, any any other projects that we use this static stuff for? I'll go first. I do not. That was easy. Yeah. Um, no, like I said, I, I want to. I want to move some stuff over because I think it's cheaper and we already said that's better. But no, I, I have not. I've recently um, moved my blog over to GitHub Pages. I used to host it on a .NET site. It was still the old .NET, not the .NET cores. Uh, though Miniblog is also available for .NET Core and you get a really nice online editor and you can do all that thing. Uh, but uh, I was so convinced after seeing the success of our website, the ease of use, no longer having to have LifeWriter required to post my blog post. There might have been a different way. I just never found it out. Um, yeah, I, I thought, hey, this would be so cool. So it only took me about three months to migrate everything over. Um, that I, I totally underestimated the time I would need to fiddle around with Jekyll until it would do exactly what I wanted. Um, but yeah, uh, now it's there and uh, I, I'm quite happy, I must say. I'm um, quite pleased. Um, I think I fixed the last broken image paths today. Uh, now, now the only thing I have to do is get back to blocking. Uh, the last blog post is from 2020. So um, <clears throat> yeah, so first blog post, the obligatory one is how I moved my blog. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then uh, I'm sure I'll find some other interesting topics around the mobile dev space or whatever I will encounter during my daily adventures. I thought your, your first post would be, where have I been all this time? I thought you should never really do that because then you write the blog post, oh, I'm so sorry. Now I'm back four years later. That's your last blog post. I mean, yeah. And I, then you I have three mark. of those posts <laughs> underneath yeah. each other. Hey, I'm sorry. Yeah. I will do better this time. I swear. Uh, but it's kind of the same for me. I would like to move, I think, from my WordPress stuff to something like this because, you know, cheap, unhackable, blah, 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 all the things we just mentioned. But I'm worried about, one, the content that's on there right now, how that will translate into a markdown or whatever. Um, so I have to manually go through all the posts, which is over the years quite some, um, and fix all of them. Um, and I'm worried for my SEO stuff that I will, you know, break links and and whatnot because my my posts right now this is kind of a humble brag, but uh, they're ranking pretty good um, usually in in the search engines. So you know, it would be a shame if something happened to that. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I think that's one of the pains when you move an old website over to a new a new framework. I mean, you could you could take your WordPress website and move it over to another static. I mean, you have to look that your URLs are still the same. You will have to check that your uh, XML feed is still at the same area, and and and. Otherwise, you run the yeah risk of losing all of your readers until it, your blog posts have been re-indexed. And that was also one of the things that took me quite some time to figure out how to configure all these things. And of course, the broken image paths all along the way, um, that was fun to fix those. But hey, yeah, I, I think I'm slowly there. And uh, yeah, let's see. Um, maybe 
maybe some things will break. But yeah, for for now, the, the traffic patterns still seem to be about the same. So something seems to be working. And I think that wraps up our episode on creating low-cost websites. We have been your hosts, Mark Alibone, Stephen Davison, and Gerald Schloes. And let us know, what are your experience with building websites on a budget on Twitter at nullpointers.io? Please remember, our DMs are open and Gerald will be happy to respond all around the clock. Or Stephen, or me, whoever has the shift. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe and until next week on Null Pointers. Mm-hmm.